I'd ask you to take your Bibles again and turn to Matthew chapter 13. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 13. Coming to the little parables after the one of the tares. So we're just going to read a couple verses really. 31 through 33. So Matthew 13, verse 31 through 33. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like to a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is the greatest among herbs. And becometh a tree, so that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof. Another parable spake he unto them. The kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal, till the whole was leavened. Amen. Which I again trust God's blessing upon the public reading of his inspired an infallible word for his own namesake. Well, let's do ask the Lord's blessing upon these verses we have read and the thoughts then that we will consider together. Let us pray. <laughs> our Father in heaven, we ask as we lift up our hearts and our souls to Thee this hour around the Word of God. That we would know the presence and the power, the influence of Thy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of truth. Lord, may He convict us of righteousness and of sin and of judgment to come. If we are not a believer, O God, may these things be in His hand, the very power of God unto salvation. Lord, if we are thy children, oh, may we again refresh our faith in Jesus and go on from strength to strength in him. So now, Lord, we commit these things unto thee for Christ's sake. Amen. Well, having given us this parable of the tares earlier in this discourse right before these two and its interpretation of the kingdom of heaven and the church of Christ we believe in this world and that it will be mixed with wheat and tares it'll be a mixed assembly as far as the visible church or the visible manifestation what we can see of its work in this world of both the children of God, the children of Christ, and also the children of the wicked one. We look at that and we see the concern that the, the workers have. The servants and probably the ministers of the gospel. We may well think, we may well wonder, what kind of success, what kind of progress will this kind of kingdom have in this world? In this age, until the end comes. 
But here I think in these next two little parables, the one of the mustard seed and the one of the leaven, Christ has a very important word for us. And it is a word of encouragement for ministers and members of His kingdom. A word of encouragement. And so let us look at these two parables together. And the first one, in the mustard seed, I think we see this. Though it is small in its beginnings, it will be great in its end. The kingdom of heaven, that is. He says of this mustard seed that it is the least, there in verse 32, of all seeds. And some, you know, have stumbled on that and said, well, there actually are other seeds in the world that are slightly at least smaller than a mustard seed. And so they take issue and say, the Lord Jesus misspoke. He was in error. He, he didn't have his facts right. And some evangelicals uh, have fallen to that criticism, not as harsh, of course, of those that believe nothing of the Word. One scholar says, though, that in the rabbinical literature, this was often used, this mustard seed, this phrase and this idea that was the least of all things. So they would use it in comparisons. And I didn't write down the one that I read about, but they would say such and such, but you know, the least of all is like the mustard seed. And so it was, it was just a common way, because it is so small, of referring to things as very little, very insignificant in that time. And so no wonder Jesus would use something like that that is a very familiar phrase in His generation. So, the idea here is not that it's exactly, literally, physically, scientifically, the least of every kind of seed ever was known to man. But in the current ideas of His generation, it's a very small thing, and so it's the least. In words, it's very insignificant. It's the least of all seeds. Little. Remember in Zechariah, and they rebuilt the temple. And some remembered how the old temple was. It's after the captivity, you know, some came back to Jerusalem. And many wept, the old men, because they could remember what Solomon's temple looked like. And this was nothing in their eyes, it was nothing in comparison. And they wept. The glory, you know, was so little. What did the Word of God come to them saying? Despise not the day of small things. Despise not that day. Because the Spirit of God would be poured out upon it and it would grow. It would be a day, in fact, and that temple was the one that Christ would come to. He would visit. So it had much more glory than the one that Solomon built. Christ did not come there physically. But you see the idea, the day of small things. Christ is saying, my kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, is going to start in a very, very little, little way. We can maybe remember 
And not only is he speaking to the multitudes here that came to him, but especially the apostles. The ministers at that time were twelve, perhaps the seventy uh, later. But compared to the world, compared to the populations, even of Palestine and all that, very, very little. Very, very little. His ministry, yes, extended uh, to many places, but just in the land of the Jews. Many did not stick with him. We know as well from John. So very, very limited, very small, very localized, you could almost say. Least of all seeds. The mustard seed. We say it's not to be despised. Because, you know, when Christ is done, he says, with this work, it will become a tree. It'll be the greatest among the herbs. You know, herbs are the plants in your gardens that you eat. Not so much the pretty flowers and things, but it's so much that the birds of the air can even make nests in it. They can lodge there, the branches of it. It'll grow great. As one commentator said, it shall yet be the most glorious of all God's works, ere all be done. It reminds us, I think, that of what Christ says through His Apostle in Ephesians chapter 1, and there's so much of the glories and the grace that will be lavished, not only lavished upon us, but shown forth in the ages to come in those first chapters of Ephesians. But he does say that when he exalted Christ, he raised Him from the dead and exalted Him above every name that is named in heaven and earth, above all powers and principalities, Power and might in verse 21. And dominion every name, as we said, that is named. Not only here, but also in heaven. And in the world to come. He says in verse 22, And hath put all things under His feet, and gave Him to be head over all things to the church. To the kingdom of heaven, you could say. If you want to substitute Matthew's phrase. He's... Exalted. He's conquering. He is ruling. He is having dominion. For the church. To make this little mustard seed into a great tree of an herb. That even outstrips all the others. In the very end. We don't see it all now. Again, Revelation chapter 21. Verse 1 says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned. For her husband. We have covenant language after that about God being our God and dwelling with men. But that is the great glory. 
We may look very little now, despised, small. Brother, it'll be the greatest of David Dixon that said that. One of the greatest and most glorious of all God's works when everything's done. This is the new heavens and new earth. All's done. Time is wrapped up. And what do we see? Not all the people now that make the headlines and the news feeds and all the power brokers of the world in Washington, D.C., Geneva, Switzerland, UK, you name it, China. No, we don't see that. We see the heavenly Jerusalem coming down. The elect, redeemed, bought by the blood of Christ, fully sanctified, coming down as a glorious church. That's what we see. Let us be encouraged. This is no little thing. This is no thing that will come to nothing. No matter what it looks like in the world. And so let us strengthen ourselves to continue to hold forth the word of life as a church. You as a member. Me as a minister. The righteous in that glorious kingdom. He's calling here that mustard seed and the great tree, the great herb it grows into. Remember he said there in the interpretation of the parable of the tares when he's giving what it really means away from just the illustration. It says in verse 43, Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. That's the glorious thing that's coming. And this little mustard seed, this little start of Christ and His disciples. This fisherman, tax collector, a zealot. What's coming? The weak things of this world, the little, the despised, the least of all seeds. It's coming a great tree. The glorious church shines as the sun in the kingdom of their Father. So though it may be very small in its beginnings, it shall be great in its end. Christ is encouraging us here. It's the kingdom of heaven. Well, second, let's look at the leaven. And the idea here is, though it's hidden in its working. It will be persuasive, or pervasive, I should say, in its effect. Verse 33. I'll just read that again. And another parable spake ye unto them, the kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal, till the whole was leavened. And obviously we often see the idea of leaven as a very evil thing in the Scriptures. One example is Galatians 5.9. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. And Paul says that's a negative. Uh, sinful ideas and practices. But here in this parable, obviously it's a good thing because it's likened to the kingdom of heaven. So we have to be careful. Sometimes uh, illustrations or things are not always used exactly the same way in Scripture. 
So here we know it's a good thing. And what about it is good? Well, I think it's working, as we said. It's, it's, it's working. How does it do its effect? Well, it's hidden. It's smaller than what it goes into. And it's hidden. You don't see it. She took, this dear woman, took that leaven and hid it or put it in those three measures of meal till the whole was leavened. Now Christ is taking that gospel word and He's putting it in to the church, to the kingdom of heaven. And it's going to ferment. It's going to make itself known. In fact, it's going out into all the world later on. The end of the book. It's going to go everywhere. You're going to find its effects. You could apply it even to the individual Christian. You know, it starts, and it starts small. Obviously, when you put it in there, into that loaf, or into that meal, that dough, you might say, it doesn't immediately do its work. It takes whatever amount of time it is. She says, it says there, she put it in there till the hole was left. There's a competent time, there's a certain time, if you will, of its natural working before it does all of its work and makes itself known everywhere in that measure of meal, in that portion that she put it in. A process, it's a process. So the kingdom of heaven doesn't take hold immediately everywhere. It doesn't eradicate when a person is justified by faith in Christ. That's immediate. That's full. That's complete. Because it is based upon the work of Christ that is done. But the other aspect of salvation, meaning sanctification or making us more holy in our character, takes time. It's a process. So if you apply it then to the believer, it takes time. But the whole will be leavened. God, if we go back to the perhaps the more visible application, we see Christ planting His religion upon this earth. How many people knew about it? As far as the earth goes, it's not quite as public. In fact, many tried to suppress it. The Pharisees in particular tried to manipulate the news. They didn't want certain things to get out. You see, to the very last, what did they say? Take down that sign, Pilate. Rewrite it. But as we come in our own day, we, we see, yes, we see much as Christ told us, many false prophets, many false Christs, many things that are done in His name that are they're not really Him and of His kingdom. And yet we do, by a sovereign grace and to the praise of God and to the joy of our own hearts, we see in all areas of the world, definitely all continents, possibly all countries, I, wouldn't, I don't know if I could say that for sure, but... Every continent has great gospel presence. Numbers of folks that profess 
this book as the inspired oracles of God. They believe on the Jesus that this book puts forth and seek to follow Him. It's leavened this world. It's leavened this world. It has had a great effect. A pervasive work has been done by the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. His name is professed. Oh, man, again, encourage us to be faithful in continuing, not to give up. It's a process. It's a process. And all these congregations that Christ has so gloriously raised up around the world, they're not perfect. There's tares in them, but even the wheat is not fully matured. I mean, you remember, wait till the harvest. Well, they're not, they're not all done. They're growing but they're not perfected. They're not fully mature. And so we. We're not that way either. But the leavening is keep going. The gospel is keep seeping in. It keeps changing. It keeps conforming us. It keeps uh, making us after the image of Christ more and more. It will do its work until the whole is leavened. And we see that in that new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven. The work is complete then. At the end of time. I think it really, these two parables make us hearken back to the covenant promise to Abraham. We can see this Genesis 17.5 and in 15.5. The, the promise to the seed, as Paul says, to one. You should hold one finger up. To one. Not to seeds as of many, but to seed of as of one. That is of Christ. That in Him... All the families of the earth shall be blessed, but see how little it was just Abraham. Just him. And then even at that point have his son. That was promised. But I think it's in the chapter 15, he says that I have made thee, maybe it's 17, made thee a father of many. Well, in the future. But because God calls those things as though they be, before they become the past, because He will accomplish. He says there will be more than the stars of heaven, more than the dust of the earth. You know, Paul again interprets that, not of the flesh only, but of those that believe as Abraham did in that coming Messiah that justifies the ungodly. They are His spiritual children. And they're numerous It's becoming a great tree. It's leavening the whole lump, if you will. Because God has promised to do that. It also anticipates, as we said later, in just a couple more chapters, in chapter 16, where Jesus says, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church that I will build. Yes, it's little. Yes, it's... You know, hanging on many times, it seems it's on a thread. When we look at it from the visible church side, the, the errors, of the sins that plague the church, how can it survive? Christ says, I will build my church. Or, if you substitute this language here, the kingdom of heaven and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. 
He will keep that covenant. We sang in Psalm 132, His crown will flourish. But His enemies of the wicked one that sows these grains, of the world that tempts us, our own flesh that is weak and sinful, they will be clothed with shame because Christ will not fail. He'll bring it to pass. The herb tree, the mustard seed will grow. The leaven will work until it's time of accomplishment. And brethren, that just gives us another encouragement. We'll be able to say, Later on, we get to heaven. Maybe some even here on earth. I don't know. In a greater and fuller way than Zechariah said when he prophesied in Luke chapter 1 of God's covenant promises being kept. Verse 72 he says, To perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember His holy covenant, the oath which He sware to our father Abraham. We'll be able to say that even in a fuller sense. This great tree was the work of the promises to Abraham. And the leaven that not only saved and sanctified us, but a multitude and made this new Jerusalem. Oh, how He has kept and remembered His oath, His promise, and has come to pass. Yes, it may look mixed, and it does. There's people, we're not sure if they're saved or not saved. And, and the Lord says, just, just wait to the harvest. Just wait. We wonder, how can it prosper? How can it grow if we have all this mixture? Christ says, don't be discouraged. It will grow. The end will be great. It may be hidden. It may not. We don't know how it works, if you will. But it will leaven. It will accomplish its purpose. The gospel will prevail. Christ will not be discouraged. He will see His seed. And rejoice in it. Well, thirdly, let me just make an application from these things as well. Another thought of encouragement here. Though the kingdom of heaven, the church of Christ, may seem to be unsuccessful in the eyes that we can put upon it, yet for all that, we should continue in prayer for her. We should continue. We have these promises. It's growing. It's going to be a great tree. It is producing its effect, maybe secretly, unseen. Now, Dixon points out again, he's very helpful on these parables. There's that competent time. We must let God have His own time till He brings to light, till those loaves, if you will, rise and they're ready to bake. God has a time when that leaven manifests its work. But we should be encouraged and pray for it. For it is His will that these things should be accomplished. Christ says men ought always to pray and not to faint. Do you have a desire to pray for that? We don't want to offer up just, well, the preacher said I ought to pray for this, so I guess I should do that. 
But do you have, do you want the, the work of Christ, the church to prosper, to grow, to leaven, to affect yourself, your congregation, your denomination, the, the universal or Catholic church at large? Well, don't be discouraged. Let's pray. Pray for them. So I want to end with a little quotation, maybe not quite the longer paragraph, but I think it says it very well from John Girardot, the great Charleston preacher. And after suffering greatly in the cause of the South that many had prayed for, that God would bless and would give um, success to, and he was pleased not to do it. Many were very discouraged to keep praying. The skeptics would say, "Well, look at that! All those prayers people prayed daily. Yeah, it didn't it didn't come to the end to, to to the thing you said it would do, or you prayed for at least." Of course, the devil comes in and says, "Too slack prayer didn't really help much. You're in devastation now, as we know from the after effects, but." So he preached a series of sermons down there in Charleston, 1865, to help the churches there to continue in prayer and to not be discouraged. And so he's speaking in this part of this first sermon about the promises of God for temporal blessings that are general, but he does not guarantee or or promise in every instance to confer them. He observed, as he says, to himself the particular application of them. He gives some examples, like of the martyrs and things, when God says we'll deliver out of trouble. Uh, he didn't deliver them from them, but he wanted them to prove their faithfulness and to glorify him, even as said of Peter, uh, in the de- in a death for him. And so I'm going to break in here to this thought. He says, God has promised to uphold truth and to support right. But he has not pledged himself in every particular conflict in which truth grapples with error and right with wrong to render truth and right for the present triumphant. He may suffer them for wise purposes to undergo apparent defeat and to be exposed to a tempest of opprobrium and oppression and scorn. In these cases, it is our duty to sustain ourselves by the consideration that God does His will and that the judge of all the earth will do right. And to him who thus in disappointment and suffering, baffled in his hopes and tempted to skepticism, yet honors God by a meek and uncomplaining submission, do from a sinful, short-sighted creature to infinite wisdom and absolute sovereignty, it will in time be made conspicuously to appear as clearly as the flash of a sunbeam through the fissures of a dissolving cloud, that benefits were withheld for the bestowal of greater. That temporary sufferings, suffering is but a, the prelude to everlasting blessing, short-lived disappointment to the dawn of unfading honor, and that the truth and right go down beneath a horizon of darkness and an ocean of storms, only to reappear in the morning glory of an eternal Triumph. Jesus as an infirm, dying human being, staggering under the curse of a world 
prayed that he might be delivered from suffering the second death. His prayer was unanswered and he died. But his grave was a scene of death's dethronement and the birthplace of unnumbered millions of deathless souls redeemed from Satan's sin and hell. Hold, Christian brother, do not despair because your prayers for certain blessings, however apparently great, have for a time been unanswered. Where is your faith? Where is your allegiance to your almighty, all-wise, all-merciful sovereign? Collect yourself. Put on the panoply of God. Stand against these troops and fiends that would dislodge you from the citadel of your faith. Look up. God, your Redeemer and Deliverer, reigns. See, He sits on yonder throne, and suns and systems of light are but the sparkling dust beneath His feet. Thousands of thousands of shining seraphs minister before Him. Infinite empire is in His grasp. The scepter of universal dominion is borne aloft in His almighty hand. His eye is upon His afflicted people. See, see, He comes, He comes, riding upon the wings of the whirlwind, wielding His glittering sword bathed in the radiance of heaven, driving His foes like chaff before His face, and hastening to the succor of His saints with resources of boundless power and illimitable grace. End of quote. Brethren, let us pray. Let us pray. Reminds us, doesn't it, of that text we mentioned in Ephesians. That Christ has all these things committed. He has described it in such great language there. But it's to the church. It's for the church. It's for the seed to grow. It's for the leaven to leaven, to do its work. We may not see it. It may seem to go backwards. And we think he's promised though. He's prom- Why can't it just... It doesn't seem like it's doing what it should. But then let's continue to pray. In God's own time, it will blossom. It will come. And let us stay ourselves upon our faith and upon these promises that he's given us here. This great encouragement to be faithful, to continue in that work for the kingdom and in prayer. But let us do pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that Jesus, that all wise Savior, the good shepherd, that gave himself for his sheep, the only shepherd of our souls, Lord, that we will acknowledge. Lord, in his wisdom and his care for his church, not only gave us realistic expectations of the mixed character of it on this world's stage and its operations and its manifestation as members are added to it and as it goes on as an organization till the end of time. There will be wheat and tares, concerns among the servants for the tares and yet, Lord, that wise patience given as a remedy. Oh, Father, we pray And praise Thee that He did not leave us there, but He also encouraged us that in this time, in this world, till the end comes, that small seed will grow. 
That little leaven will work until it has pervaded, till the whole is leavened. Oh, Father, we thank Thee that we can trust Thee and that the saints in Gerardo's day, but every day of church history have passed through the similar things, longing and praying and earnestly seeking Thee. And yet it seems like it comes not to pass. Lord, let us hold fast to Thee. Let us stay ourselves upon the everlasting dominion of Him to whom we pray, knowing that in time, His time, Thy time, it will come to pass. Encourage each one of us, Father. Bless us, Lord, as we would continue to do Thy work here as a congregation. In every congregation, Lord, may we see others encouraged in the same way. The glory of Thy Son and the increase of the fruit of the Spirit, we pray. Amen.